Good morning, good morning, and welcome to El Paso Bible Church. It's good to see you guys. I hope you guys are staying cool in the heat. Um, I do have a bulletin in front of me, and I hope you picked one up. Uh, we have ongoing activities, and I just want to mention a few of them that are on the front page there. Um, so, let's see. August 20th, we have our monthly church lunch. Uh, we encourage you to stay for that. And the way it works is that you bring a little something to share, your favorite dessert or, your, or a dish, and then uh, we just have lunch together. We also have a men's triple B, Saturday, August 26th here at the church at 6 p.m. And triple B stands for uh, Bibles, Beef, and Brews. Uh, so that's always a, a fun event to attend to, men. And last but not least, uh, we are looking for volunteers for our Awana program. Uh, that is a, a children's program that goes on throughout the school year, and it does start August the 30th. That's a uh, Wednesday. August the 30th is Wednesday? Someone said last time that I said Friday. Let me see. just want to make sure. Oh, it is a Wednesday. Okay. Good to go. So August the 30th, but we are, Priscilla is looking for volunteers. So if you are interested in uh, serving in that capacity, uh, go ahead and contact her. Okay, so I am reading uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. Now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith, from which some, having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. Now let's pray. Uh, Father, we are thankful this morning for uh, this opportunity to come together as your body, as a church, and worship you. Uh, we thank you that you are a good God. And we thank you for providence. Thank you for all those little things that you are involved in in our lives that we don't really know about or understand, but you're still there. And we thank you for that love. We thank you for that grace. We ask that you bless our time as we worship you. And as we are encouraged by the teaching of God's word, it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Would you stand with us for a time of worship? I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean, was singing Shall ever be 
His love for me. He took my sins and my sorrows. He made them His very Never changing, but 
answer to any name that the enemy tries to call me. I don't have to answer to any name but chosen child of God. I don't have to answer to any name that the enemy tries to call me.
Well, good morning. I hope you all are doing well today. Uh, children, you guys can go to Children's Church. Uh, remember, the Explorers are through here. It uh, starts at grades three, I think. It goes up to five. And the younger kids, follow Montgomery to Adventurers. He's, he's leading the way. There he goes. Uh, for those of you who are visiting with us, I'm the pastor here. I know uh, occasionally you see somebody wrinkle up their nose when I say that. I don't look like everybody's pastor to them, but I am. Sometimes I have to remind myself that I get the privilege of uh, being the pastor of El Paso Bible Church, so welcome. Uh, we're going to continue our series this morning in First Peter uh, with, with some review, as is our, our custom. Did I forget something? I kind of feel like I'm a forgetting, getting a forgetting something vibe. Did I forget something? An announcement, something? Okay. Don't do that to me, guys. I'm, I'm feeling that I forgot something. Anyway, we'll get past it here. All right, so First Peter, right, remember that we're talking about, I have my microphone on and everything, we're talking about being choice aliens. Uh, remember that we are discussing what it means for believers to embrace that identity, right, that they are choice, that we are here 
on purpose, God's purpose, not because it's necessarily something that we would choose, right? Uh, we had a number of years ago, right, uh, the billboards everywhere that talked about the purpose-driven life, right? And, and while I didn't necessarily ascribe to all of that, it is important that we understand that we are here for a reason. We are here on purpose. God has a design for us to continue to live here in our identity in Christ, born again into His family as children of God who have blessings that come with that identity, opportunities that come with that identity to live in light of the future reward that is ready for us, reserved and waiting, that God has prepared for us. We have opportunities that we have uh, responsibilities. Sometimes I use the word obligations. Um, That word is not a a popular word anywhere in our culture today, right? Obligation, because we see it as something that is the antithesis of love, and we've spent a good bit of time talking about the nature of love as an obligation. In fact, that's what Peter says is one of our very first obligations as choice aliens in the world is that we are obligated to love one another from the heart, um, to sincerely love one another is the the idea with that, Uh, to long for the pure milk of the Word, to long for the pure milk of the world is another obligation, Um, to not get bored by God's Word, to be constantly longing after it is another obligation that Peter talks about is part of keeping our behavior excellent among the nations. So to love one another from the heart, to long for the pure milk of the Word, to live in harmony. It says, all of you be harmonious. We just got done in our worship in song. And uh, occasionally one might note in congregational singing that somebody is not necessarily in harmony, right? Once in a while... That's not what it's talking about, however. It's talking about how you live, how you walk through your life to be in harmony. Not necessarily that we're singing the exact same note, but that as a corporate body, as a congregation, as a local church, that the end result is harmonious. Different things that we do keep our behavior excellent, to be harmonious, to obey within the structure of God's divine institutions, to do what is right. And then he spent a good bit of time, and we're still actually in this section, to do what is right, whether it results in pleasant consequences or whether it results in suffering. And Peter doesn't doesn't say that it's all the time that when you do what is right, you should expect suffering, but it's certainly not foreign right, to his whole discussion about keeping your behavior excellent, doing what is right, the idea that we need to be able to anticipate suffering for doing what is right so that we can engage in that particular kind of suffering successfully. And those two things, again, are they're considered incongruent, right? If you consider yourself to be suffering, you at least as an American, right? In the United States, we think, well, we're suffering. That means we're not successful. We're not succeeding right now. Succeeding is getting rid of the elements of suffering in our life. But Peter says that should be foreign to your experience as choice aliens, 
right? Aliens are strangers in a certain place. They expect to have a non-standard experience. And we should expect to have a non-standard experience in the world. He said, you, you need to be able to suffer successfully. And, and he gave us some examples. The primary example was Jesus Christ himself, who suffered. Uh, scripture says he suffered. He was marred more than any man. Uh, that no one could even look upon his appearance. That he suffered in ways that were unimaginable. He died once in that process, once for all. The just for the unjust, the righteous for the unrighteous. In his flesh, Peter says it was his flesh who was put to death, but he was made alive in the Spirit. And then he gave us another example. Maybe, because you sometimes have a hard time, right, when people tell you to be like Jesus. Don't you? Yes? You don't, don't have to lie to me. I'm your pastor. I know that it's hard. When I tell you to be like Jesus, even Scripture says, I better give them another example. Ouch. I didn't get in a fight, by the way. I'm just old. I woke up with a wrist that didn't work a couple days ago, and it's still not working. Even Scripture says, if I tell them to be like Jesus, that may be too much on its own. Like, I need to bridge the gap somehow. And so he says that the Spirit who made Christ alive, the agency by which He was put to death in the flesh, but now He's alive in the Spirit, that same Spirit is the one that enabled Noah to preach righteousness in his generation. That Spirit empowered Him to preach righteousness to His wicked and perverse generation. Which Peter says, those are the days of God's patience for I think it was 120 years that Noah preached righteousness and built the ark. By the way, there was no YouTube back then to tell you how to build an ark. You know, you guys watch YouTube to figure out how to fix things, how to build things, don't you? I'd do it. I know how to build all sorts of stuff already in my head, but I can run across stuff that I don't know how to fix. But as he was building, as he and his sons were building, he was preaching righteousness. And we know what his success rate was, right? Big, fat, hairy zero success rate. Zero percent success rate. And I mentioned that we, we need to recognize that God's patience is more important than ours. We get frustrated with God's patience with the world, with people, with other believers. We really wish that God would spank his children more quickly than he does sometimes. I'm speaking as a pastor. I can tell you that happens sometimes. I'm like, it's like seeing the bad kid in the restaurant, right? Somebody needs to spank that kid. It's not going to be me. He's not my kid. I'm, you're not my kid. i pastor Bible church. You are God's kid. I'm just supposed to tell you, hey, God spanks his children for stuff like that. Okay? He does. Because he loves you all. But we get impatient with God's patience. But that's not where Peter said that was God's patience that allowed Noah the opportunity to preach in power the righteousness to his unrighteous generation. 
And he says that Noah was saved. Now, we think about Noah being saved from the flood in the ark, right? That's the way we teach the Sunday school lesson. He was, te- he was saved from the water, yes, yes. If he had been standing on his own two feet in the middle of Texas and there was a universal flood, he would have died right in the middle of Texas, which is perhaps the best place you could die, but you still die, right? He was saved from the flood in the ark, but Peter describes also he was saved by the water. He was saved from what the world was to become. If that wicked generation was not judged, he was saved by means of the water as well as from it. It's important from the evil of his generation and it was his obedience that was emulated by the seven that went with him, his sons and their wives, those eight persons that were delivered in the ark. So we stopped right there last week. We did it on purpose. It's still the same section. But we ran out of minutes. You know, y'all start looking hungry. Y'all start looking hungry if I go over 37 and a half minutes. I like clockwork. It's about my average, I think, still. This is important. Corresponding to that, let's read verse 21 of chapter 3 of 1 Peter. Corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. Corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. Not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So let me ask you, Pastor Bible Church, does baptism save you? Say that, whoa, whoa, say it again. No? What Bible are you reading? Does your Bible not say, corresponding to that, baptism now saves you? You all believe the Bible, don't you? Well, you've got a problem. And your problem isn't with that text. Your problem is that you are a revivalist. You didn't know that, did you? You might as well be like, what is it, Billy Sunday or whatever, any of the great evangelists that only use save one way when the Bible uses save a bunch of different ways. But I found that this verse is either somebody's totally absolute favorite verse in the whole Bible because they build their entire doctrine over how you get to go to heaven when you die because it's the moment that you get either dunked or sprinkled or something that they call baptism. And they love the verse. Because they also they don't understand it. And then I have other people that hate that verse because they don't understand it. So the key, right, is not to love it or to hate it. The key is to understand it. Because the Bible says baptism does save you. And if your Bible doesn't say that, you need to get enough, you need to get another one. <laughs> Because it's missing some words. Baptism now saves you. Let's talk about it. But it doesn't teach baptismal regeneration. 
It doesn't teach that the scripture uses baptize all sorts of ways. There's baptism by the Spirit. There's baptism by fire. My new grandson baptized my youngest son by sprinkling while we were visiting. I forgave him. Isaac forgave him. He's not even a week old yet. I guess he's kind of a Methodist. Identified him as the favorite uncle. That's the base idea to baptism is you change an identity. The the word in the secular world was used for dyeing cloth, right? To dip it and to dye, like some of our youth like to do tie-dye lately. I guess that's a new, new again thing. They've restored that, right? You never get that out of the cloth. It's an identification. But baptism isn't the problem. I think this is talking about water baptism, I think. Uh, the issue is with the way that we understand some of the other vocabulary here, right? But we first need to start with the first word, corresponding to that. Uh, the word is actually copying that. What is it referring to? Well, it's referring to how Noah was saved by the water in the ark. That was the example. So a lot of people will go, aha, see, faith requires obedience to be valid. Because Noah was not saved until he got on the ark. He believed God and he got on the ark and then he was saved. Well, you have just strayed into a very fanciful hermeneutic, haven't you? Is that, how, is that when Noah was justified? Is that when his eternal destiny was determined? Was when he got on the ark? No. Several chapters earlier, which is like a century earlier, more or less, Scripture says that Moses, I mean, excuse me, Noah found favor in the eyes of God. Grace. If you were to point to any point in that record that he was justified, you would have to point there a hundred years earlier. What was Noah saved from? The water and the evil angelic hybrids that were populating the earth from physical death, from having his lungs filled with water and the alveoli bursting in his lungs, all of this stuff. That's what he was saved from. See, what you need to avoid, and people treat the whole Old Testament this way, is if it's some big allegory about how you get to go to heaven when you die. As if the whole narrative and the whole record of the Old Testament is focused on you. Do you see how narcissistic that is? To assume that that's all about me going to heaven when I die? It's foolishness. Don't allegorize it. Don't turn something that is about physical salvation, physical deliverance, physical temporal rescue into something that is about you going to heaven when you die. That's a train wreck for your biblical doctrine. Most of the time that the word save is used in Scripture, this is what it's talking about. It's either talking about being saved from an enemy, from a natural disaster, from a disease... Remember the woman that had been bleeding for 12 years, went and touched the cloak of Christ? He says, your faith has made you well. It has saved you, delivered you from hemorrhaging. That's most of it. 
We don't do that at El Paso Bible Church. We don't allegorize the biblical record. We're not perfect. I'm not saying that we do this perfectly, but our every effort is meant to understand the text as it is written and what it means. But Peter says it is a copy of that. So if the record of Noah being preserved in the ark from the water and from the evil generation in the ark with his family is about temporal deliverance and temporal salvation, the thing that is the copy of that, the antitupas, has to be that also, doesn't it? No? Yeah. It's not just a feeling. It's a, it's a legitimate copy of the thing. It's, you know, when I was a kid, everybody used to break into the church office and Xerox their face. Because we were stupid. Probably why our brains don't work. But you end up with as best as you can with a copy of the face. That's the idea. The correspondence between the original and the copy is, is very, very tight. It's not an illustration of it is identical. We don't expand the vocabulary. We don't go into a spiritualized vocabulary. We just need to understand the words that are written. Let's bear that in mind. So we have the corresponding thing. We have the antecedent and then the thing that corresponds to it. That is Noah's deliverance in the ark along with his family from the flood and from the wicked generation was a temporal physical deliverance. Okay, And it was not deliverance from all suffering. When you read that record, you can go back to Genesis, I promise you. When Noah steps off the ark, he does not step into the presence of Yahweh. He does not step into heaven, does he? If y'all forget that part of the story, you really need to go back to Genesis. Noah did not step off the ark into eternity. He stepped off the ark into absolute and utter devastation with corpses and rotting flesh all around him on the earth. It was a very particular temporal deliverance of his life. It did not mean that his life was going to be free from suffering or difficulty or issues, as would be the case if he stepped off it into eternity, right? Glory, what we call the freedom from the presence of sin. He had a reminder all around him. That's why he needed the rainbow, right? Because there was rotting carcasses covering the face of the planet, stinking up the whole place. (laughs) Need a reminder of God's goodness and his promise, right? Travesty what we've done to the rainbow in our culture. He didn't step off that into glory. He was delivered from particular things. So if you've been, been coming to El Paso Bible Church for any length of time, you understand these principles, I think. We talk about them a lot. We spend a lot of time to the point that I hope that some of you have gotten bored by it. Because when you get bored by it, that mean, probably means you've internalized the process a little bit. You're like, Pastor Josh, we know. 
Good, I'm glad. Let me make your ears ache a little bit more. (laughs) We need to disambiguate the vocabulary. That means we need to keep it separated in its references and in its context. And one of the key words, of course, is baptism. We can do that. Corresponding, yes. But one of the most important ones is save. And we talked about that a little bit already. That save means to rescue or deliver from something. And so when you see the word save, it's not that it's mistranslated. You just need to not make it walk on all fours, right? You don't use language that way. When my children, because I have a few children, and they would all want to play on Xbox when they were little. They still play on Xbox all the time. They're grown-ups now. But they can buy their own controllers. Back when I had to buy the controllers, I said, you guys are going to share those controllers. And they would say, it's my turn. It's my turn. Actually, when the twins were little, they watched a little too much Kipper the dog, and they would say, it's my turn to have a go. Weirdos. It's my turn to have a go. And so they would take the Xbox controller in their hand, and you know what they didn't do? They didn't do this. They didn't turn around, did they? Because that's not what turn means all the time, is it? One of the meanings of turn. Save is the same way. When you see save, simply ask, what is this talking about? What am I being saved from? Or what, is, what was Noah saved from? And so if we identify that Noah was saved in a temporal way, he was saved from drowning. Important saving, right? We just had somebody go down, try to go down to see the Titanic in an aluminum can run with an Xbox controller. Thankfully, it sounds like they were, died quickly, but drowning isn't dying quickly. Noah really, really appreciated being saved. It was a real deliverance, a real rescue, a tremendous act of God on his behalf for his temporal deliverance and that of his children. Baptism, corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. There's some sense in which Actually, engaging in water baptism delivers you from temporal consequences and suffering in your life. It rescues justified believers, and that's an important distinction. These are believers who are getting saved from something by being baptized. Now, y'all look appropriately confused. I've done my job now. We're going to still clarify. We're going to still talk about what that means, but that's what it means. If baptism saves you, corresponding to how Noah was saved, his temporal life was saved. These are believers who are being delivered from something. They are already choice aliens. They're justified children of God, born again, in receipt of all of those blessings, all of those promises, in receipt of the perfect future that is guaranteed by God to all of his children in this life. That's that's who they are, and they need to embrace that. 
They are born again looking forward to what Paul calls the blessed hope. All of those things are true of them. My understanding of this passage, though, is that it seems that some of them were hesitant to be baptized in water. Now, why would that be? I, I do the baptizing around here usually. It's an interesting function because a lot of people are hesitant to be water baptized. I've never dropped a single person, but they're worried that I'm going to drop them under the water. Y'all float, by the way. They're worried I'm going to drop them or they're going to drown in the water. They don't want water in their nose. Whatever. We do, we baptize by immersion. We think that's what Scripture indicates is the normal way to baptize. Lots of other different reasons why people, they don't like to stand up in front of anybody. I even make it simple. I don't make you preach a sermon up here when we get baptized. I can simply ask you questions that we cover in our class about what it means to be baptized, what the identification means, and what testimony it is to the church. I can, people get real nervous about that. Uh, that's okay. That's okay. We don't want to baptize anyone by force, right? One of the reasons we don't, uh, you know, baptize infants, because they can't tell us whether they want to be or not. But in this day, in this day, getting baptized could cost you your life. Y'all don't. That's foreign to you, isn't it? You're worried about Pastor Josh dropping you. They were worried about the government burning them at a stake as a birthday candle for a party or throwing them to the lions or cutting their heads off, bleeding out. I might be hesitant. right? Maybe? Y'all do want to live, right? And I stand here right before you, right, as someone, uh, I guess we have some visitors here. We probably should have started with that. I, I am willing to commit violence against somebody who is willing to do violence against you in almost every case. Serious, legitimate, deadly violence, if need be. There's one caveat to that, to me personally. If somebody come in, comes in and says, Josh Meyer, you must denounce Christ today or I will kill you. Go ahead. I will not lay your life down for you understand that. That's not the exception. That was the context. If you stand up and get baptized and say that you serve Jesus, that he is your Savior, that he has redeemed you, that you're a child of God, and then you worship him and him alone, tell, that's fine, but we're going to kill you. You go stand in the public fountain, which is where they were baptized, there was no doubt as to who you were and what was happening. 
And so to these people that were not wanting to make that identification because baptism might get us killed, Peter says, baptism now delivers you. It rescues you. It saves you. Remember this corresponds to Noah and the deliverance that he experienced as a preacher of righteousness by the Spirit of Christ in his generation. By identifying himself as absolutely and completely distinct from his generation. Remember also that that was an illustration of what it means to do what is right even though that brings suffering in your life. And that the deliverance that's being talked about does not deliver you from ever and always from all suffering in every way, but it's a deliverance from a specific kind of suffering. So in what sense does baptism save anyone in their temporal life in a context in which it very reasonably might result in your execution. In that day, and I emphasize this when we baptize here, this is a testimony to the church when someone is baptized. That this person is unashamed of Jesus Christ and is trustworthy. That's the purpose it served in the early church. They were unashamed of Christ to make public proclamation that they were reliable in a sense that they weren't snitches or infiltrators. That's not something we think about a whole lot in our local church environment. (laughs) Um, we did have a circumstance in the last few years in which we did have to be concerned about that, by the way. In which churches such as ours were technically meeting illegally. Yeah, y'all do remember the COVID lockdowns, don't you? <laughs> All over the country. Not quite life-threatening. They weren't going to execute somebody, at least not yet, for that. But significant ramifications, particularly for the leadership of those churches. But if you're willing to stand up in the fountain in the middle of a city and say, Jesus Christ is my Savior and I am His, at risk of execution, then you can be relied upon by the other members of that church, that local body, to be supported by that local body, to be cared for and provided for when it costs you your livelihood, costs you your groceries, costs you your residence, your friends, and your community. Those are things that we dare not forget are liabilities of being aliens in this world. The fact that in our lifetimes, generally speaking, 
I'm assuming none of y'all are like a thousand years old, right? Or 500 years old, right? It's been more common for that need to be fulfilled by baptism. The fact that you've never experienced it doesn't mean that it's not the norm. It is the norm. And it is a real significant potential in our life. How does it save you? Well, it saves you legitimately in many cases from the actions of your own government. when it intends to persecute those who are believers in Jesus Christ. Baptism identifies for the sake of ourselves, for each other, those who are being saved out of a wicked and perverse generation. It, it is an expression of our hope that we each have in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He says that here. There's an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the hope that we have. And by being baptized, we demonstrate rather than a bad conscience and being ashamed of that truth that we have a good conscience and proclaiming that truth together with the local body of which we are a part the testimony of reliance on Christ, mutual reliance on Him, and a recognition of His absolute sovereignty over the suffering that we experience in this world. Peter ends that way. He says, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven after angels and authorities and powers had been subjected to Him. Every strata of authority that exists in the world is subject to Christ's rule, including those that cause suffering. So does baptism save us? Don't say no at this point, because you'd be wrong, right? Baptism saves us. Baptism rescues believers from a lot of things. For Peter's audience, I think it very literally helped to save their physical, temporal lives. It was a testimony that they were part of a church and under the church's care and protection. Uh, Most people want their pastor to be a little unobjectionable nitwit. That's what you expect. That's why when people see me, they go, you're not looking very pastoral. You look like a redneck with a gun on his hip. Those are not mutually exclusive. I happen to be a pastor who's a redneck with a gun on his hip. I started carrying a gun, by the way, not because they hired a gun nut as their pastor. I started carrying it when there were 20 people in this room, and I was staring at the back door by myself for 45 minutes every Sunday. Never carried one before that. Because I take the church's responsibility to care and protect for its body very seriously. 
It was something that Peter took seriously. This is how, because people, you can't see somebody's faith in Jesus Christ, right? Faith is self-evident, self-authenticating. Faith is faith because it's faith. The testimony is for the other humans. The testimony is to know what somebody's willing to proclaim. Therefore, they know to whom to extend protection, care, and provision. Baptism does save us. It saves us from experiencing the fullness of the pain of persecution in this life. Not every instance of it, but the fullness of it. It saves us from suffering in isolation. Doesn't it? It saves us from the effects of a bad conscience and difficult times in persecution. Maybe you're an overthinker like I am. Yeah, you're an overthinker. Somebody, I know a couple of you are overthinkers because you come and tell me about it. A couple of you are overthinkers. I'm an overthinker, and then I overthink about your overthinking. So please be careful with how much of your overthinking you share with me. Um, but you have had conversations, and then for like a week later, you're like, boy, I should have let them have it. This is what I should have said. I should have lit them up. Well, just imagine, right, that you suffer for being a Christian and you fail to declare your identity. How much, especially the overthinkers among us, would go, I regret that. I regret that. I have instances in my life where I regret that already. That's why we declare our faith in Christ through the testimony of baptism. And it saves us temporarily from reliance on our old identity to persevere in times of trial. And look back to at least one moment in which I said, I trust in Christ and He is my Savior and He is my identity. Still serves that purpose. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that it contains. And we thank you for the examples and the context and the uses of the term so that we can understand, in fact, what it means and what it says. We thank you for that. We thank you for the spirit that comes to indwell us permanently when the moment that we trust in Christ and the ministry that he has in our lives as we study your word, for the seal he has upon us until the day in which we are glorified and with you forever. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.
thousand songs There will never be enough To thank you for your love Tell you things you've done All the power of the cross My words cannot define All I know is I was dead And now I'm alive There's nothing like your love There's nothing like your love It's never changed There's no